No, you tell it. No, you. I'm not telling it. You should totally tell it. <laughs> well, you should tell it. No, you tell it. No, You Tell It is a series that switches up the storytelling. So each performer writes a true life tale and then, switching with a partner, performs the other person's story, giving everyone involved the chance to share their own stories and experience someone else's. In anticipation of our forthcoming 10-year anthology, we are flashing back to 2014 when we participated in the Bricks Comic Book Theater Festival in Brooklyn. For this show, we tried something new. Usually, we give our storytellers a theme to inspire their true tales. This time, we only provided the theme, Legacy, to comic artist Shanae Williams and asked her to interpret it into a visual prompt. Then we gave this image to our storytellers without the word legacy or any further context. After they completed their first drafts, Shanae joined our story meetings and drew unique illustrations for each of their true tales. In spite of the fact that we didn't share the theme, our storytellers ended up thinking about the personal legacies we leave behind. Give a listen to the results. Here is League of Absence, written by E. James Ford and performed by Nicole Grevy. Then, switching it up, Nicole's story, Nerd, The Next Generation, is performed by E. James Ford. Don't forget to follow us on Insta at KnowYouTellIt to check out Shanae's legacy artwork. Hearing was written by E. James Ford, Ow. and so I like to call Jim. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel special that way. <laughs> the question for you is submitted by Valerie David from Know You Tell It Lock and Key. Uh, so her question, which I saved especially for you, who would you rather be saved by, mm. Spider-Man or Superman? Um. So I'm going to think this one through, guys. <laughs> <laughs> for me, it's actually important that I get it right. <laughs> Spider-Man, Spider-Man, definitely Spider-Man. Oh, uh, come on, what are you kidding? Right, I'm right, right, I'm right, I'm right. You get the swinging thing, you get the swinging thing. Plus, he's tuned, guys. What about his edgy attitude? Funny quips, exactly so. <laughs> Uh, since you're one of the Know You Tell It newbies tonight, uh, I figure second part of your question is, what was what was this whole experience like for you? And um, as opposed to, I mean, have you taken, have you done writing before? How was yeah, it Yeah, sure, sure. Different? You know, I uh, I mean, a lot of the stuff that I write uh, falls more more squarely in the experimental theater realm. So doing something that's like a, a personal story like this uh, from my life is pretty new to me. Um, you know, I've done it before, but not often. Um, so how was it? Uh, amazingly stressful. <laughs> well, we're going to hear you can be stressed out for a few more minutes. Fantastic. Because kicking off the second half of our night, here is League of Absence, written by E. James Ford, and performed by, all the way around, Nicole yeah. Grevy. <laughs> League of Absence. Citizens of Earth and members of the Guardian Mutant League. Since arriving on your planet, I have been a dues-paying member of several of your superhero leagues. With my comrades-in-arms, I have battled giant kaiju robeasts, deactivated satellite death beams that threaten to destroy the planet, and ventured through interdimensional portals to defeat an evil version of myself that wanted to become the overlord of a small section of South Brooklyn. 
<laughs> I also have extensive experience writing press releases, developing cross-channel marketing strategies, and in event planning. I believe my experience speaks for itself. <laughs> my league membership covers a wide range of fields, from golden age liberty teams, to vigilante street justice squads, to 1970s psychedelic hero guilds. Some of the more prominent leagues of which I've been a member include the Mighty Rebels, the Trench Coat Avengers, the Justice Force, the Squad Force, the Street Force, the Force Squad, <laughs> Mega Team USA, Tap and Jazz Class, <laughs> the League of Extraordinary Stoners, the Dallas Rocky Horror Picture Show cast, Super Mercenaries, Neck Punchers, and of course, this one here, with all of you. I would like to formally tender my resignation. I feel it's best to do now, so now, before things get weird. Before we stop being heroes and transform into regular folks, loitering on the sidewalk, trying to decide where to get a drink. As things stand now in this small room, we are ostensibly perched atop a national monument with trumpets swelling in the major chords of vanquished enemies. But we both know what happens next after the credits roll. We'll realize that the music sounds a little hackneyed, that the monument we're perched on is more than a little phallic, <laughs> and that the triumph of our actions can't withstand the analysis of moral relativism in a cultural context. <laughs> I learned long ago that no superhero, no matter how great his or her powers, can hope to withstand the dreadful force that has been destroying our kind since time immemorial. Self-awareness, with its awesome power, can vanquish the most noble acts in the blink of an eye and will send most supers cowering to their secret lairs or, even worse, into middle management positions. I first encountered this psychic kryptonite in the very first superhero league I ever joined. I was in grade school, and the league was formed in the rush of morning recesses and the 30 minutes after school we spent waiting for our parents to pick us up. <laughs> That's one of the things about us supers. We always seem to find each other. It's that unmistakable feeling when you lock eyes with another one of your kind and realize there is a magic you both can do. Energy beams and anti-gravity waves reverberating beneath both of your fingertips. It's how I felt when I first saw all of you. It was irresistible, and I knew that together we could save this city from itself. Back in second grade, there were four of us. Four superheroes concentrated in one hippy-dippy town just outside of Salt Lake City, Utah. None of us were Mormon, before you ask. <laughs> in fact, yeah, I don't think there are uh, very many Mormon superheroes. It has nothing to do with their system of belief. There are <coughs> plenty of superheroes who believe in some crazy stuff. Green Lantern, I'm looking at you. <laughs> it's just that most superheroes smoke, and the Mormons have a thing about smoking, so it makes being a superhero rather complicated. <laughs> we discovered our powers during a sleepover in my family basement. Unbeknownst to my unsuspecting parents, the house was being attacked from all sides by the ghosts from the video game Pac-Man, trademark. An ambiguous evil wizard had made the ghosts invisible, so my parents couldn't see them. No, only those with superpowers like ours could see where they were attacking from. 
Her special abilities manifested out of nowhere the way they often do, just as the ghosts burst through the door and sprayed the basement with machine gun fire. Yes, these ghosts have machine guns. <laughs> Standing back to back, we faced the menacing specters. I would ensnare the ghost in a net of multicolored energy beams that launched from a ring made of moon rock, while Jenny and Chad fired lasers from their hands and eyes, which disintegrated the ghosts into piles of ash. Pew! 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 <laughs> Benji was on shields, protecting us in a globe of transparent antimatter that stopped the ghosts' bullets from piercing our skin. We were unstoppable. A bond was formed, and from that day forward, we fought and vanquished many foes and thwarted many disasters, large and small. Our secret base was on a spaceship, hovering just above the Earth's atmosphere. Connected to the ship were four invisible elevator shafts that led directly from all of our houses to the command bridge. In the event of an alien attack or some other world crisis, we could be ready for action in seconds. Like many superhero leagues of the time, we also had a side music project. <laughs> a hard rock band that did covers of songs by the monkeys. <laughs> All right, I'm aware this might sound weird to some of you younger supers, but it was the 80s. <laughs> Most of the great superhero leagues of the time were also in rock bands. Galaxy Rangers, Kid Video, look it up. <laughs> it was just what you did. Through all of our adventures, we never could shake the menace of those ghosts who attacked us on that first night. Somehow, whether we were battling werewolves or saving orphans from a towering inferno, the ghosts always followed us and attacked at the most inopportune moment. One springtime morning at recess, we were crouched behind the red brick wall of the school, hiding from a giant robot that wanted to turn us into robots that would turn people into robots. <laughs> so far, we had evaded its clever tactics. Although Jenny's foot had gotten stuck in some quicksand and the robot had touched her foot and so she now had a robot foot. <laughs> I think we should make a run for the swings, I said. The robot is looking the other way. Let's do it, said Chad. Good idea, said Jenny. My robot foot makes it so I can run extra fast. I don't think we should, said Benji. Why not, I asked. Because, Benji said, the ghosts are over by the swing set. We all looked at the same time, and sure enough, the red, pink, orange, and cyan colors of our arch enemies hovered near our only escape route, waiting for our next move. The ghosts, exclaimed Jenny. That's our only way out, said Chad. He was right. There was no other escape. We were doomed. Frustration and anger built up inside of me as I realized we had fallen into yet another trap. How could the ghosts outsmart us every time? They must have had this planned all along. It wasn't fair. We were the, the heroes after all, and we had already defeated the ghosts countless times before. Yet somehow they kept returning and hatching evil schemes to ruin our fun. It didn't make sense. I would not stand for it. Not this time. Someone had to do something to stop these evildoers. I felt a surge of energy well up in my chest as my mouth opened and said, 
Guys, come on. The ghosts can't be there every time. <laughs> I didn't know then how easy it was to defeat a superhero and destroy a dream. I didn't know how fragile our powers were and how they could vanish as quickly as they had appeared. And I didn't know that stepping outside of yourself was all that it took. The other members of my team looked at me as my words hung in the air, distorting the schoolyard the way gas fumes bend light in the desert. A quick glance at the swing set revealed that the ghosts had vanished and the robot was no longer tearing up the teacher's parking lot. For a brief moment, I thought we were victorious and that I had saved us from our most dreadful enemy. But then I saw it. Benji's energy sphere no longer shimmered in psychedelic patterns around us. The ancient talisman that I used to cast my energy nets was transformed into a cheap plastic ring from a supermarket vending machine. Jenny's robot foot was just a regular foot and Chad could no longer fire lasers from any of his fingers. <coughs> Our powers were gone. And it was my fault. In my defense, it was a fair point. I mean, it was, it was ridiculous to think that the ghosts would just happen to be there every time we were on an adventure. I mean, it's one thing to have an arch nemesis, but every goddamn time we were doing anything, a member of our team would suddenly see the ghosts and we'd be forced to contend with their attack. It was just lazy storytelling. <laughs> As the realization set in, we recognized how unrealistic the rest of our exploits had been. Our laser beams became the ideas of laser beams and our secret base suddenly looked a lot like the garage. Doors that used to lead to hidden passageways now led to my dad's office. Flying motorcycles were transformed into stationary exercise bikes. Buttons that used to fire photon torpedoes now merely activated the rear defroster. Everything became heartbreakingly <coughs> normal and mundane. So, with all due respect, I think I'd like to resign from this superhero league before that sort of thing happens again. You see, I like believing in us and what we're doing here. I like how much we matter. I like how the low-budget plays we mount in small black box theaters stop wildfires and slay dragons. I like how our open mic nights fend off interstellar death rays, and our burlesque hula hoop routines liberate oppressed nations. <laughs> but I'm scared. My spidey sense is tingling, and I can feel the fiendish nemesis of self-awareness just beyond the horizon waiting to strike. I mean, I don't have spidey sense. That's Spider-Man's thing, and, you know, frankly, I think it's a little non-specific. And... As far as I know, it's not even a trait that spiders actually have, which, you know, makes you wonder where, oh my god, it's happening already! <laughs> <laughs> and I am starting to worry now about how much of my life would vanish if I stopped believing in it, just like those ghosts by the swing set. Because nothing was more important to me than those adventures. And nothing seems more ridiculous when I think about it now.
and every superpower I've had since then has fallen victim to the same fate. The love that I shared with a partner, the new play that was going to change the world, the paper mache puppet that would thaw the heart of a hedge fund broker. <laughs> Which is why I've developed this strategy of leaving early. Because it doesn't matter if our superpowers make us bulletproof or able to withstand a nuclear blast. They are as delicate as whimsy, and our deepest convictions are merely passing through our heads on their way to someplace more interesting. Citizens of Earth and fellow supers, please don't take my resignation personally. I really believe in what you're doing here. I am so inspired by the fearless feats of daring do, love, and creative genius I see every day. But I have sworn an oath to protect your world, and I fear that if I do not leave it now, then I will be its downfall. I bid you farewell. Yours in everlasting heroism. <laughs> The Cynic. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take this opportunity, uh, since she's on stage, to put Shanae on the spot one more time. Huh? As she's very carefully pinning the image to the cheapest easel that I have ever purchased <laughs> on Amazon. I read the reviews, they, they were not trustworthy. Um, <laughs> so I just wanted you to talk a little bit more about how, what was your process for, you know, I know you came to the first story workshop with us when we, you know, everybody gave feedback on the stories and the authors went back out to revise, but. Did you know right away what you might do for each one, or how, how did it come about for you? To be honest, no. <laughs> I had no idea as soon as uh, you and Michael's like, can you do something bigger? And I'm looking at you like, what? <laughs> <laughs> um, but as soon as I got the, the new drafts of the stories, I read them over twice to make sure I got like, certain details that fit with their particular story. Mm -hmm. And um, I actually had like little thumbnails of what would fit. And I came to the conclusion of like, you know, the main images that you see here today. Um, but yeah, it was, it was an interesting and stressful and fun process. <laughs> well, we applaud you for all of your hard work. Say this, I think after this, I'm going to sleep for like a good week. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> so, our last author of the night is Nicole, and her question was supplied by Todd Faulkner from No You Tell It First, uh, who's also married to Nicole. <laughs> and also, it's a very, it's a very heady question, so prepare. Are we going to fight about this later? Depends on the answer correctly. Okay, with that, let's say you wake up tomorrow with superpowers. Would you use your powers to vanquish evil at all costs, even if it means crossing into some gray areas ethically? <laughs> Or would you strive to set a good example by always playing by the rules, even if that means sometimes letting the bad guys win? If you need to read it, you can. Oh, no, no, that's definitely <laughs> good. That's a good one. 
because I think like all of us, I've done things in my life that later I have felt, and sometimes even at the time, were not maybe ethical or as ethical as they could have been. Um, but I like to think were I gifted with superpowers, which this time includes flying, right? Uh, yeah. Um, I like to think that I would try to set a good example, um, probably partly because uh, I also have a three-year-old. And suddenly when you're a parent, everything becomes about, oh my God, am I setting a good example? Because I'm afraid if I didn't, that he would grow up to be a supervillain. And then it would be, you know, probably very interesting, but also very uh, tragic comic book. <laughs> 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 a supervillain and a superpowered mother. So. Thank you. So hopefully that was the right answer. Oh, you yeah. <laughs> As we're closing out the night, here is Nerd, The Next Generation, written by Nicole Grevy and performed by E. James Ford. Nerd, the next generation. I want it! My son shrieks. We're in Target. <laughs> My three-year-old son Griffin loves Target. He especially loves the dollar aisle. It's not the toy section, but he's figured out he stands a better chance of mommy or daddy getting him something from the dollar aisle than he does from the toy section. Preschoolers, like politicians, are experts in the art of the possible. We are in the dollar aisle. And I know what he's looking at. It's a felt tiara, yellow with a red star. Griffin spotted it on a previous trip, along with felt masks for Batman and Green Lantern and The Flash. Last week, Griffin's daddy bought him the masks, but not the tiara. Clearly, Griffin hasn't forgotten about it. Wonder Woman. My son loves her. I have no idea when his allegiance shifted from the world's greatest detective and the last son of Krypton to the Amazonian princess. Honestly, I wasn't even aware of Wonder Woman registering on him. It might have been the Challenge of the Super Friends or the Justice League. I have no idea, but right now, she's on top of his superhero rankings, and it makes me anxious. Because I'm afraid he'll be picked on. I'm afraid that he's a nerd. Like his mom. My life feels like one long attempt to fit in, but I've never been able to. I've never been able to be interested in what regular people like, especially growing up. It drove my mother nuts. I had a temper tantrum when she painted my room pink. <laughs> On the rare occasion that she would let me buy something frivolous at the store, I picked a comic book which I was only permitted to read in the privacy of my stupid pink room. <laughs> I still remember it. The Legion of Superheroes, number 265. The story was a mashup of Brigadoon and Roots. <laughs> Two years later, my brother was given the box set to Dungeons & Dragons Basic Edition, but I'm the one who became the Dungeon Master. And in the wake of my mother's death, I discovered Doctor Who on PBS. Buck Rogers in the 25th century in syndication, and that most kids had nothing but derision for a simple chubby girl who liked fantasy, sci-fi, and superheroes. Being a nerd sucks. And yes, I'm aware that nowadays people like to distinguish between nerd and geek, and what I am is technically a geek, to which I reply, shut up, dork, in my day they were the same thing. <laughs> I had no interest in the things the more socially acceptable kids were into, and, and even worse, I couldn't keep my mouth shut about the things that I liked. When my local PBS station stopped airing Doctor Who, I couldn't read in private. No, 
I made a petition demanding it be aired again, and I brought the petition to school to try to get the other kids to sign. When assigned to write an anonymous essay about a secret desire, I wrote about how I wished I was my favorite D&D &D character. So much for a hidden identity. And everyone knew I was rushing home from school to catch reruns of Scooby-Doo, Where Are You? I watched without irony. <laughs> for ten years, my best friend was my shield against the ridicule. She liked many of the same things I did. Greek mythology, briar horses, Doctor Who, and as long as I had her on my side, I wasn't aware of the other kids' opinions of me. But she was always more than me. Smarter, more creative, more observant, and she was aware. Our friendship ended in ninth grade. It's hard to be a nerd, but it's also hard to be a nerd's friend. Immediately, effortlessly, she slipped in with a cooler crowd who listened to Echo and the Bunnymen and then Jesus and Mary Chain and made fun of people who liked toy horses and Doctor Who. And I realized at some point in our friendship she'd stopped sharing my interests and started humoring them. Maybe it was in the middle of maybe it was in middle school when she strongly advised me against pasting pictures of Peter Davidson as the fifth doctor on my math folder. Whatever it was, I didn't see it because I didn't want to. Couldn't bear to. But finally she'd had enough and moved on, and without her as my shield for the first time, I got a very clear view of the other kids. I saw how they looked at me. I heard every mean thing they whispered. I was lonely. I hated who I was. And the thought that my son might end up feeling about himself the way that I felt about myself makes me sick to my stomach. But I can't tell Griffin that. He's three years old and runs up to kids he doesn't know to ask, will you play with me? He doesn't judge himself the way I judge myself. The way I sometimes still judge myself. And so I buy him the damn Wonder Woman tiara, and we go home, and I put the 1977 Wonder Woman series on the computer for him, and he settles in to watch the Amazonian princess fight the Nazis. And Todd's key turns in the lock, and he comes home. And Griffin looks up from the screen, felt tiara slightly askew, and says, I'm Wonder Woman! <laughs> That's great, Griffy, Todd says, and disappears into the bedroom. I follow. Todd's turned away from me. Todd did better in high school than I did. He wasn't part of the popular crowd, but he was just on the outskirts. He knew how to fit in. He did fit in. He didn't buy Griffin a Wonder Woman tiara. And I know he's upset. Not angry upset, but worried upset. Like I am. I put my hand on his shoulder, and I say, he saw it at Target, and I didn't know what to do. I mean... I don't know if he's even thinking of her as a, you know, woman. I think she's just a superhero, so she's cool. I hate that I'm even saying this. I hate that I'm trying to rationalize my son pretending to be a female superhero, not because I have any opinion about his gender identity, he'll be who he'll be, but because I'm afraid he'll be picked on for it. I don't want him to be a nerd. I don't want him to be like me. No, I, I get it. It's what he wanted, Todd says. I just need to wrap my head around it. I mean, yeah, I, I feel weird about it, but that's about me, not him. 
It's okay. Elijah got it for him. There's a picture of a six-year-old Todd in our bedroom. He's wearing a coat, holding a rifle, with a spaniel dog at his side. And Todd grew up in Oklahoma, and uh, this is exactly how I would have pictured a regular, average kid from Oklahoma. Except the picture is totally staged. The story behind the picture, as Todd told me, is that he had found one of his mom's dresses and put it on. He remembers he loved watching the fabric flutter as he moved. It just looked so cool. And he started pretending he was someone else. He was pretending to be Rita Moreno. <laughs> and when his dad found out, he freaked. Took the dress off, slapped a hunting coat over Todd's pajamas, pushed a gun in his hand, and took a photo. <laughs> a talisman. A shield. I love this story, because the photo didn't change anything. Todd had no interest in hunting or sports or any of the things regular Oklahoma kids liked. He liked superheroes and monster movies and, and sang in a show choir and, and performed in dozens of musicals. And hey, a six-year-old who idolizes Rita Moreno? That is some first-rate nerding right there. <laughs> I rejoined Griffin in the living room where he's getting bored with Linda Carter as Diana Prince in her military suit and owl spectacles. Where's Wonder Woman, he asks. <laughs> that is Wonder Woman, I say. She's in her secret identity right now. You know, like when Clark Kent transforms into Superman in that movie we watched? Well, when is she going to open her shirt? <laughs> Son, Todd calls from the bedroom. I've been asking that since the 1970s. <laughs> <laughs> Todd is saying that to make me laugh, and I do laugh. Because 20 years after high school, I'm not alone. I'm married to a man I adore who actually bragged to his friends about our first Christmas when I gave him the special edition of Halloween with the collectible Michael Myers snow globe. <laughs> <laughs> and today, superhero movies are the summer blockbusters, and HBO's biggest show features lots of dungeons and dragons, and 100 million people worldwide watch the 50th anniversary special of Doctor Who. I wasn't wrong about the things that I loved. I was just a couple of decades ahead of my time. Maybe the real reason to pick maybe maybe the real reason people pick on nerds is deep down, they have a little bit of envy. Because we're trailblazers. All your pop culture are belong to us. <laughs> <laughs> and anyway, my son is not a nerd yet. Right now, he's just son of nerd. And I need to let him be who he is, so he can fulfill his own destiny. Besides, grade school is still a long way away, and I have a pretty great three-year-old right now demanding I take a photo of him, wearing his tiara, and waving his magic lasso. I take the picture, it's fine, he's fine, I'm fine. <laughs> I did, after all, survive high school. In fact, I even went to prom. Junior year, I started going to the Rocky Horror Picture Show and was soon hanging out with kids from other high schools who also enjoyed spending their weekend nights shouting rude things at movie screens. So, while the schoolwork was still lonely, the weekends were great. Filled with fishnets and rice and toast and parties and friends, friends, friends. One of these friends and I went to prom together. 
I bought a Vogue pattern and sewed my dress because it was an unimaginable faux pas to show up in the same outfit as anyone else. But when I think about it now, I know we were really all dressed alike. The girls wore dresses tight on top, flowy on the bottom, and a heavy fabric that shimmered. The boys all wore suits in virtually identical shapes and dark colors that all blended into the same shade on the dance floor. No one wanted to stand out or get pointed at or look ridiculous. No one did. I'm sure we all thought that we were dressing to be unique, to show off who we were or wished we were, but in fact, we were all perfectly appropriate. Perfectly anonymous. But today's nerds, the girl gamers, and the bronies, and the cosplayers, and the LARPers, well, they're being picked on, teased, tormented. They're pushing the envelope. They are challenging, quietly, passively, anxiously, how we see what's normal and not, and what's expected and not. And they're going to take us to some pretty cool places. My son's prom is in 15 years. Maybe the pictures will show him and his date. Hell, everyone at prom, costumed in a hundred different brilliant colors, in fabrics that flutter when they move, that shape their bodies into dozens of different silhouettes that stretch and sparkle and shine in the light. And they won't look ridiculous. They'll look amazing. Like gemstones. Like butterflies. Superheroes. That's it. Thanks for joining us for this installment of No, You Tell It. Visit us on the web at knowyoutellit.com. <laughs>